Grace, mercy, and peace be and abide with each of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is our living, loving, and forgiving God, amen. So I kind of did a, a little bit of a, a readjustment. Uh, that's why I partly um, decided to add this reading from Ezekiel to our morning. This word resuscitated, uh, you're probably familiar with it. It's something we understand that when you know uh, something has kind of gotten to that point of uh, losing its breath or even losing life, that it can be resuscitated brought back to life. And the wonderful truth is, if you can look at it this way, is that is our condition prior to us receiving the gift of the Spirit of faith and forgiveness. We say it. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And today, part of the reason, if you uh, haven't seen it in the prayer list, but I did a baptism on Wednesday of a 13-year-old uh, here in Wildwood, a family that um, one of our members has been um, ministering to for a number of years, and I've gotten to know them over the past six, seven years, and had that privilege to see her resuscitated. And then today, we had scheduled at 10.15 the baptism of little Hank King. And in the process of meeting with the family to prepare, guess what? Mom had not been baptized. So today, mom and child together will be resuscitated. As the very gift of the power of water and the word comes upon them and resuscitates them like it has resuscitated each and every one of us from the death that we were in now into new life. What an amazing gift of God we have. I don't know about you, but uh, we are conditioned, however, in our society to believe that when death happens, that's the end. Matter of fact, I learned that fairly early in my life when one Sunday, sitting on our front porch with my friend Stevie Arujo, and we suddenly heard this horrific crash. Now, we're in a suburban neighborhood but it was a sound that we had certainly never heard before, and as young boys would do, I'm not sure, I'm thinking we were about maybe nine years of age, we went and explored. And unfortunately, what we had found is that our friend and neighbor, John Niffen, had run a stop sign on his bike and been hit by a car speeding down the road. John did not live. And not too far apart from that was um, our friend from church, David Hill. He was Stephen's age, and David was hit by a drunk driver, and David died. And if you've ever been in Gainesville and you see all the bike paths, more than probably just about any city, it's partly because of David Hill and making way for those people to ride their bikes. But here's where the reality began to hit. 
our neighborhood was regularly in the street every evening and afternoon, whether playing tag football or, you know, um, uh, baseball or whatever it was, but I would never see John Niffen play with us again. In going to church, going to vacation Bible school, I would never see David Hill again. It was a final act. They weren't coming back. So according to our human experience alone, death is final. There's no changing it. But you know, it seems to me that most people, to some extent, do everything they can to avoid death, to avoid coming face to face with its reality, and not only in their own life, but as it also touches them in the lives of those around them. But God wants us to think about it. God wants us to think about death. He wants us to know that death is a reality because of our sin. The wages of sin is death, we are told by Paul in Romans. However, he also wants us to know and to believe that the one who imposed this sentence is also the one who can reverse this sentence of death. As the passage in Romans 6 continues, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we have these words from the Lord in Deuteronomy chapter 32. God says, there is no God beside me. I kill and I make live. The question for us this morning is, will we believe this? Will we believe that God is indeed the one who will make alive? Well, the prophet Ezekiel uh, was sent to resurrect the faith of God's people. They were, in a sense, nothing but dry bones. Yes, this really happened. Hard to believe, hard to imagine, but God said it, it was, there it is. But it's hard for us to believe it. But here they were, this group of dry bones, because of the punishments God had imposed on them. They had turned from God to false religions. They had worshipped creatures instead of the one who is creator. They had forgotten the commandments to not only love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, but they had forgotten to love their neighbors. And for all of this, God removed them from their land to Babylon. And yet, God gave Ezekiel a vision. There was a valley of bones that we read about, that valley of death, and God wanted to teach his prophet and his people that death is not the end of life in his world. These bones could live. These people could stand again and serve the Lord. But how? Would it be some act of magic? Would it be an illusion like an illusionist would bring and is just kind of a, a figurative thing? Well, no, it would only take the word of the Lord. God told Ezekiel to prophesy, which really is just another way of saying, hey, Ezekiel, preach it, man. Tell it to him. Speak that word. Speak my word of power. 
preached to the bones the word of the Lord. God showed Ezekiel and us that where the word of the Lord is, so is God's spirit and power. Just as God's word was powerful and effective in bringing the world and all that exists into creation, so here Ezekiel saw how the word of the Lord brought the dead to life. Now let's jump ahead 600 years from the time of Ezekiel to the time of Jesus. A small remnant of people were still clinging to the hope that death is not the end. Two sisters, Mary and Martha, grieved because their brother Lazarus had died. And whenever someone dies, you know what Satan does? He, he tries to and, and cause us to end up giving up. Satan wants us to crawl into our hopelessness and give up on God. He wants us to remember the first truth that God spoke, I kill. But he doesn't want us to remember the second part is, I make alive. Or that which is from the other reading, for the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, my friends, God keeps his promises. His word and his spirit bring life from death. We are not to live under the condition of death in to th that death is the end. There, that there is no hope. In a prequel then to Easter, Jesus came to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And the Gospel of John records that when he heard of this news, he wept. God himself understands that death was never the plan. God himself understands that death alone, all it does is bring heartache, pain, separation, and sadness. But, Jesus said, Lazarus, come out! Have you ever been around people who are afraid to touch a dead body? People go to a, a viewing and, you know, I've seen that. There's people that just know. Can you imagine what the people, though, in Lazarus' day, how they reacted? Here he comes wearing, you know, those cloths that were wrapped around him as he was buried and in the grave for four days. Lazarus appeared alive. Well, are we any different than the people of Ezekiel's time or the time of Mary and Martha? The answer, no. We are constantly being conditioned that death will have the last word. Satan wants us to believe that there is no overcoming the consequences of our sin. This leads people into giving up and just living for the moment. You know, the pleasures won't last. For we know, as you know, the ancients said, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. What's behind that attitude? That this is all there is, so get the most out of it you can. 
Others pursue a dull life to simply try and avoid pain, doing their best, putting off the inevitable. Still others live in total despair. Their life on earth is living hell. Matter of fact, some would suggest they might as well have a sign over them uh, like uh, Dante's famous inscription, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here, as that signpost entering into hell. But God's word tells us otherwise. God's word brings hope and life where despair and death would otherwise reign. There is no doubt that much of this life can at times seem hopeful. Yet God's word and only God's word and particularly God's son, the word made flesh, has the power to reverse the inevitable progress of sin, of decay, and of death. Indeed, the spirit in the valley of dry bones and Lazarus' resurrection gives way to the Good Friday and the Easter morning of Jesus. Sins are forgiven through the blood and the suffering and the death of Jesus. I kill and the wages of sin is death, but I make alive, and the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How can it be? How, how can it be that dry, dead bones can live by the Spirit and the Word in Jesus Christ? Truth is, I, I don't quite know how this has happened. I, I don't quite know how to explain to a mother and a father uh, and as they bring their child forth for baptism that there their child receives the gift of the Spirit. There their child by that Spirit receives faith and by faith receives forgiveness. I don't fully know how to explain it. All I do know is what Scripture says. And God's Word is powerful, and it does what it says. It may seem impossible to us, but with God all things are possible. And as I noted earlier, today we will be celebrating that very act of God's Spirit working through the Word to bring faith and life in Brittany and in Hank. And you? You can remember today and every day how God worked in your baptism and how God continues to work in your baptism every day. For as Paul also writes in Romans, for in baptism we are buried with Christ into death and we are raised to new life with him. The drowning of the old Adam, the rising of the new. One thing. I um, I think it was partly because of the call causing me to spend more time looking at the very real condition of the Christian church today. But when I was reading about resuscitation and thinking about dead things, you know what ar arose in my mind? The Christian church in America. 
The numbers vary, but it's pretty consistent. Somewhere around four out of five churches in America today are dying or plateaued. In America today, less than 40% of Americans will read their word outside of a place of worship. But before you get excited about even 40%, remember that on any given weekend in America today, less than 20% of Americans will be in worship any given weekend. Less than one-fifth. One-third of Americans do not believe in heaven, and that includes Christians. And an even higher number do not believe in hell. Then what do we need to be saved from? And did you know that the average size of, or the median size of churches in America is 75 members? And the average age, the median, let me correct that, the median age, that means half are less than, half are more than. The median age in the Christian church today is 73 It seems over and over again we are seeing plenty of evidence that the church in the U.S. is at best on life support. It's a little scary, right? Hmm. So, can the church, can these dry bones that have been planted and established by the Lord himself to be outposts, places of witness, places of proclamation, places of prophecy, places of hope, can they be resurrected? Is there anything that overcomes the relentless desert of death in this world? Absolutely. There is hope. It is God's Word in Christ and the Holy Spirit that brings us down in repentance and raises us up in faith and into life. Resuscitated? Absolutely. We have been, and every day we get to again remember that the Spirit is still at work, resuscitating us. And in the churches today, if they would just take hold of this word and believe that God is almighty, all-powerful, he will and is right there ready to resuscitate his church, ready to again empower it by the Holy Spirit and the word of God to not only live but to thrive and to truly make a difference in today and eternity. Amen.